Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Now that Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell appears set for his second term, and Congress appears set to spend new trillions of dollars, our economic future will continue on as we've often described in recent podcasts over weeks and months. That is, higher and higher levels of government debt, and this government debt will continue to rely on more and more Federal Reserve money creation to purchase the debt. Continuing record high inflation, that will add another big risk, and this is a risk that has not really been in the headline news to a high degree. And that risk is the threat of high wage increases, which have already started, as we mentioned before, in transportation, high tech, and it's becoming obvious it is occurring in a large percentage increase in childcare. Soon to follow will be restaurant hospitality workers, pretty much all union jobs, service providers, and professional occupations. You're probably thinking that, gee, I've already seen all that you mentioned, so what's next? We'll get into what's next in our podcast today very soon. Additionally, the double deficits, the trade deficit and the budget deficit, will continue and likely worsen as we move into 2022 and in future years. Our trade deficit is already setting new records, and our nation's budget deficit is likely to clock in at $3 trillion again next year. But it's important to remember the European Union, Great Britain, Japan, and China are also experiencing the new high levels of inflation and potentials of new financial crises for various reasons along with us. China is facing a major real estate and credit crisis that we could argue that we went through back in 2008-2009 for different reasons. The European Union is pretty much at loose ends because they're finding fewer buyers of their debt. And an argument could be made that the debt market for the governments in the European Union is badly broken. But in all of the countries, inflation has emerged at pretty much record levels. And I could invite you to Google Mohammed El Aryan. It's E L hyphen. E-R-I-A-N. Mohammed El-Aryan has spoken in recent weeks about high global inflation, and he used to be the head of PIMCO, which is the largest holder of U.S. government bonds in the United States, the PIMCO funds, and he actually built PIMCO over a period of two or three decades and has retired since then. But he has very serious concerns about inflation being entrenched. He does not accept at all that what the Federal Reserve contends is transitory. The bottom line is that our future lifestyles are moving down at a time when we are facing many additional possible black swan risks this year and next year. Let's review what a black swan is in terms of definition. My definition is a black swan is an extremely rare event, but it has severe consequences. Black swan events can cause catastrophic damage to an economy by negatively impacting markets and investments 
And even the use of robust simulation and modeling cannot prevent a black swan event. And a good example of that is 2008-2009, when the mortgage securitization market crashed. And once it began to crash, there's really nothing anyone could do to rewrite the contracts that had mortgages that were sold to insurance companies, mutual funds, and governments. Basically, at the foundation, those who borrowed money who were in these large securitized mortgage funds were not able to repay it. And once that was realized, the damage had already been done. And the rest was basically just watching and then adding so much liquidity to the system that it prevented a lockup. And that was 10, 11, 12 years ago. Black swan events are impossible to predict due to their extreme rarity, yet have catastrophic consequences. And it's important for people to always assume a black swan event is a possibility, whatever it may be, and try to plan accordingly. Some believe that diversification may offer protection when a black swan event does occur. That may or may not be the case. When the 2008-2009 financial meltdown hit us, and the global economy as well, Diversification, unfortunately, did not cushion the initial shocks. Pretty much all asset prices collapsed. The stock market, real estate, gold prices, and so forth. In about two years, the stock market dropped 50%, in other words, by half. Real estate dropped approximately 30%, depending on the geographical market, and even gold dropped 20%. The only asset that held up and even appreciated were government Securities like treasury bills, treasury notes, treasury bonds. That was in response to the Federal Reserve and U.S. Treasury Department money creation and cash injections into the banking system. And these lessons, 10 or so years later, relate to today. And here are two takeaways. Number one, money creation and cash transfers to the banking system kept interest rates low and allayed the fear of a meltdown. That is the tool that was used in 2008, 9, 10, and so forth. And that tool continues to be the primary source of sufficient, if not too much, liquidity to ensure that government bonds have a market and also to ensure that private sector bonds have a market along with municipal bonds. So the money creation has been the tool of choice, given that there aren't that many tools the Fed has. Number two, the Fed and Congress have little concern as the resulting inflation so far shows up in bond prices through low interest rates. And our leaders know full well that the consumer price index grossly underestimates the cost of living or consumer experienced inflation. While most voters do sheepishly accept and they're pacified by the official consumer price index increases of 1% to 2% or so, many respected money managers, and you know by now I'm focused on the really large ones that control trillions of dollars, and hence those are the ones that control the direction of markets. Many of these money managers understand that all the cards held by the Fed and Congress have already been played. In brief, U.S. debt interest rates are already close to zero. The twin deficits, that is the trade and budget deficits, are already at record highs and heading higher. And Congress has already given away trillions of dollars and so far with disappointing results. Our labor force is short over 5 million jobs from 2019. 
Government entitlement programs have supported many with no real economic growth resulting. And what the result is that we've achieved is high inflation. We have not achieved significant, if any, new jobs creation. UBS, which is the former name is Union Bank of Switzerland, UBS is a global high net worth advisor. And several days ago, they had this to say. So I'll give you the whole quote. If stagflation is in the cards for next year, stocks could drop up to 50%, according to simulations by UBS. They continue on. With inflation running hot globally and COVID-19 numbers still spiking around the globe, markets are starting to fear stagflation, a period described by high price pressures and slower economic growth. Latest inflation data out of the United States show that the consumer price index hit a 31-year high in October as it accelerated to 6.2% on an annual basis. This is not a U.S.-only phenomenon. In Canada, inflation reached 18-year highs, and in the United Kingdom, price pressures climbed to 10-year highs. They continue on. Our simulations suggest that sustained inflation even if mainly demand-driven, we'll see equities lose 10 to 15% cumulatively over the next three years. These losses will likely amplify to 40 to 50% losses in the unlikely event of stagflation. So I'm ending the quote, and that comes from the strategy department of Union Bank of Switzerland, or UBS, but the fact that this is their official public statement indicates that they are actually considering alternatives. And that's actually what all of us should be doing. The first time stagflation made headlines was in the 1970s. And for those of you who weren't around or don't remember the 1970s, I recommend Google searches to you under stagflation, 1970s economy, interest rate policies in the 1970s and so forth, pretty much any topic of the 1970s, because it seems in many ways, although the reasons are different, we're reliving some of that. In any event, the stagflation in the 1970s followed an oil shock, and that oil shock triggered a jump in consumer prices and high unemployment rates. Keep in mind, we've had high inflation this time around in the stock market, the bond market, in real estate, and so on, but it has not been reported in consumer prices. And for a good 10 years, the asset price appreciation has made the wealthy wealthier and has created issues with those who are well-qualified in many cases who can't find an entry-level job. But I'd make the observation that the Federal Reserve in Congress don't seem to be so disturbed when the inflation is taking place in the asset categories, which basically relates to their funders and their campaign contributors. But they get concerned when the headlines begin to carry consumer price index increases. And even given that consumer prices have been dampened down and adjusted down and do not relate to the cost of living decreases that people have experienced, the bad press, if I can say it that way, has been pretty much mitigated. The attention has been focused on the asset price appreciation. That's changing. With the Federal Reserve kicking off tapering in November, the fear now is the U.S. economic growth will suffer as the country's central bank proceeds to tighten monetary policy to fight off high inflation. UBS, in its simulations, saw small-cap stocks seeing the most significant losses going forward. 
For protection within the stock market, UBS advised looking at put options on semiconductors and small cap companies. Or for those who are not comfortable with put options, taking profits on positions that have really substantially increased over the past several years, cashing out, in other words, to some degree, not totally. Despite the massive equity sell-off warning, UBS admits that a stagflation scenario is rare and it's not yet part of their base case outlook for next year. As the stagflation expectations for next year and thereafter become more and more a part of the large global investor expectations, all of us should begin to expect some severe stock and bond sell-offs. Expectations of high inflation directly increase long-term interest rates. Whatever you do, please remember some of these points. I'll say it again. Expectations of higher inflation directly increase long-term interest rates. Why would you lend money for many years, let's say at 3%, if inflation is expected to average 5%? The answer is you wouldn't. And large investors likewise would avoid purchasing 3% 30-year treasury bonds and thereby force those prices to go down, in other words, pushing the interest rates much higher. As interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Never forget, as interest rates go up, bond prices go down. If you're holding bond funds, bond mutual funds, even municipal bonds, even long-term corporate bonds, if treasury bonds begin to go down in price, they set the tone for all the bonds. And as treasury bond prices go down, you will not see groups of bonds in the marketplace going up, for example. They follow the treasury bond market very closely. And we haven't seen treasury bond declines for a few decades. If you look at an interest rate chart, Federal Reserve interest rate chart for the 10-year bond, you can see since about 1980, interest rates have gone from about 16% all the way down to almost a half a percent last year. Now they're 1.6%. But that mathematical relationship is a given. Once the inflation becomes accepted in the marketplace, bond prices will go down, meaning interest rates will go up, and those who are large investors in bonds may be heading for the exits. In summary, I think the best way to understand the next year or two is to give Danielle Martino Booth another 30 minutes of your time. And she so eloquently talks about what to expect please do view her YouTube interview of a few days ago. The link is posted on the podcast SoundCloud page. Again, Danielle D. Martino Booth has just made presentations at Global Economic Symposiums. She has meetings continuously with Federal Reserve members. And a few days ago, she answered many questions on real estate, cryptocurrency, the stock market, and the bond market. So I strongly refer this to you. And I hope by the time this podcast is available, you have had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And in the meantime, between now and the next podcast, be careful and please do give some time to the YouTube interview that I just referenced. Thank you. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. 
These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.